Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson. Poof, pow, surprise, you made it to another Friday. Coming up, we are going to get the answers to some questions about COVID, plus why Aquarius season this month might be extra weird. But first, it is our panel about the week that was. Our guests this week are both from the Cut podcast. B.A. Parker is the show's lead producer. Parker, hey. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you. And Avery Truffleman is the host. Avery, hello. Hi. Okay, so I want to start with impeachment with y'all. This is the first time in American history that a president has been impeached twice. Proceedings for the second impeachment started earlier this week. Are y'all following the play-by-plays, Avery? Uh, like, <laughs> yes and no. Well, okay, because the, the main way I get my news is actually through the radio, like through my physical radio really like terrestrial wow my terrestrial radio that i turn on like even when the insurrection happened i like ran to my radio and turned on the fucking radio which doesn't make it it doesn't make any sense that i turned on the radio because you're missing a whole other dimension of the news like i didn't know what it looked like (laughs) well i get that though i mean like as a person who has spent her entire career in public radio like I did not watch the inauguration. I listened to the inauguration. Yeah. It's, I mean, thank you for the work you do. And that, like, it's so, it's so great. And you can kind of get this, like, long, relatively unedited sort of C-SPAN version. But um, I was talking to my very good friend last night, and he was like, yeah, you know, these videos they were showing at the impeachment trial were wild. I was like, oh, videos? Oh, whoa. Like, I didn't see those. Oh, gosh. So, Parker, what do you think? Like, are you are you listening on the radio? Are you following this intensely? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I mean, so glad to I, hear that. I, I stay informed for, like, the important things. Like, I know Eugene Goodman is a prince. But I like I don't need to experience like in real time, all, like I don't need to experience white supremacy for like news to keep informed of the news. Like that's just yeah. not. I don't. I want to be triggered for like a whole day. I have a job. Right. Right. <laughs> I just know that it's going to make me mad. It's yeah. like yeah. it's like watching like a week long Super Bowl where Tom Brady wins, and I'm just like, why? Why would I want to watch that? <laughs> So, Parker, does that mean, like, do you think you're in, like, emotionally invested in the outcome at all? Or have you just, like, completely disconnected because you think you're going to be disappointed anyway? I mean, this is, again, like, his second, Trump's second impeachment. Right, right. Yeah. So, clearly, the first one didn't stick. Mm-hmm. So, I'm just like, what up? Like, keep me posted. Like, I'm sure if it's good news, someone will tell me. Although, listen... <laughs> I mean, like, as sequels go, this one is better. Like, I don't know if there's a franchise where the sequel is better than the original. Are you saying this is the Godfather part two? (laughs) 
listen, the arguments are so much. I mean, shit is way worse this time. <laughs> they have a way stronger case, uh, and they they've really got their act together. And I I don't know. I have found myself more moved and compelled and this this time feels different than last time hmm. avery if you had hyped this up to me as like this is the dark night of impeachment <laughs> then i could have gotten into it like on monday <laughs> it's too late now it's too late now. Oh, wait, wednesday on wednesday i would have been into it but now it's thursday and i'm just like just fast forward just i can't a bunch of old white dudes lying for like a week i can't do it yeah yeah you're right no this is now now the movie equivalent is probably more like the sound of music like now you can just turn it off before all the nazi stuff starts happening and be like that was a pretty sweet movie you know like (laughs) um okay so i also want to ask y'all about this new york times documentary that just came out it's about britney spears it's called framing britney uh, essentially for people who haven't seen it yet, uh, and who, who don't know about this story, Britney's dad, Jamie Spears has been in charge of both her and her estate for more than 10 years now. It's called a conservatorship. It's usually a legal thing that's used for like older people or disabled people who can't take care of themselves. It's a pretty complicated story, but even aside from the legal complexities, what I thought was really fascinating about watching this one was just how brutal it is to be an extremely famous young woman, especially 20 years ago when Britney was coming up. Parker, you watched this too, right? Yes. So what did you what did you think? The main takeaway that I got from it was that it unlocked a lot of just like teenage girl, I guess, PTSD that I was not expecting. I was like, oh, wait, I was a teenager then and it was awful. Mm-hmm. <gasps> um just like i just remember like a memory clicked of just like one of like in touch or whatever those magazines were from back in the day of just like they would put the weights of all of the like young female celebrities in the magazine oh, oh. yeah yeah it'd be like you know Lindsay lohan uh, 103 pounds or whatever yeah. yeah i love that we both oh. guessed very low hundreds <laughs> for Lindsay because oh, apparently that was the aim i guess i don't know but i was just like oh that's right this was awful and to think about how that they like they had to experience on such a massive scale and i i know that some kind of internalized misogyny was inside of me at like 14 being like I hate Britney Spears. She's with Justin Timberlake and I want him. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> like, what am I going to present? What am I bringing to the table? But, um, yeah, just like, this is an awful situation. Also, I was just like, they showed some like Tonight Show clips and it was like Jay yeah. Leno calling her a slut. See, that brings up the age old question for guys. Who do you watch? The nice girl? The pretty girl you can take home to mom? Or the cheap slender girl you know puts out? I was like, wait. Yeah, like misogyny is still bad now. Like it's still a terrible time to be a young woman in the spotlight in America. But at least the Tonight Show is not calling Billie Eilish a slut. Like that's not you can't do that. So Avery, you have not watched this documentary. I like. I wonder if you like me were sort of like, yeah, no, I'm good on misogyny. Like, I don't I don't need any more of this content in my life. Or was it just like you don't haven't had time to watch it yet? Oh, I mean, (laughs) not that I haven't had enough misogyny in my life. (laughs) I 
Could use some more. <laughs> Could use some more. Um, I don't know. I feel like that Zach Galifianakis sketch about the illiterate snob where he's like, I told you, I don't read. Like, that is how I feel about TV. I'm telling you. Like, I just listen to the radio. I'm a grandma. But, I, I mean, I have been reading about this movement for a long time because one of my favorite journalists, Michelle Luke, has this uh, sub stack about... You're talking about the Free Britney movement. The Free Britney movement, yeah. And, um, yeah, th- this sub stack is called Rave New World and Michelle Luke has been traveling and going to, like, the autonomous zones in the Pacific Northwest and Philly and New York and L.A. and uh-huh. just kind of taking... It's like a really beautiful chronicle of what is happening in the, in the zeitgeist, in the protest zeitgeist right now. And so she's been following the Free Britney movement and wrote this whole dispatch about it. And she kind of compares it to, um, in all of its weirdness and complexity, sort of the other side of QAnon. Because, like, the documentary itself is driven by this movement, this grassroots movement of fans right, right. who believe that Britney is trying to communicate with them and send out messages through her social media. Yeah, like Instagram, yeah. Right. And so she's basically, like, Michelle was basically saying, you know, it is it is a little unnerving that we're seeing this mindset take off, but this is where it's put to really good use. Like, here's where the conspiratorial sort of uh, national treasure mindset really does lead young people to go search through legal documents and, like, genuinely try to help Britney Spears and it's like not about her it's about so many people and I I mean it is about her but it's about um right many disenfranchised people who relate to her it's it's really fascinating yeah. it's kind of beautiful it is really fascinating yeah it's interesting because once it got to that point in the documentary I was sort of like I don't know I mean so much about the story of Britney at least the story that they put forward is that you know all of that attention is what broke her like the paparazzi would not leave her alone people were making so much money off of candid photos of her and I I don't know seeing people pouring over her Instagram profile I know the intention is different but it's still I still worry that it's like why can't we just leave her alone like could we really just leave her alone you know and the fact that the documentary exists at all also right like aren't Uh, we just perpetuating the same thing with this it's all invasive no matter where you look at it yeah although i feel like we have to first course correct before we can we can't just leave her alone now like you know what i mean i feel like the damage has been done and we have to like first make these public amends and focus on her and then hopefully we can leave her alone. But I feel like this kind of attention had this corrective attention had to happen. That makes sense. That makes sense. OK, so another thing that I wanted to ask y'all about is I don't know if you saw this, but did you know that this week marks the 10th anniversary of the viral Rebecca Black hit Friday? <gasps> <gasps> it's Friday, Friday. Gotta get down on Friday. Everybody's looking forward to the so to mark the occasion, they put out a remix featuring Big Frida and 303. Let's take a listen. That's quality people. <laughs> right? Yeah. what like audio strobe lights is like <laughs> yes exactly uh, oh what do y'all think i don't know i part of me is really surprised that it was only 10 years ago that that video came out only <laughs> i feel incredibly old 
<laughs> I remember it only because it got popular because of I think Tosh point oh. Oh wow. Wow. And I was getting an internship at the time with Comedy Central. Oh wow. And so I was I that, my big thing was like, you know, I would love to work for Comedy Central because, you know, they made Friday popular. (laughs) (laughs) I had no idea you would have such a beautiful personal story about Friday to share, Parker. God. But here's the thing that, like, they, this is another thing about, like, the whole Britney Spears um, discussion is, like, I think Rebecca Black was 13 at the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they full blown bullied a 13 year old. On the internet for a very long time, yeah, and and what because she made a fun song with her friends that was actually not a bad song. It's a pretty terrible song. Uh, <laughs> here's the thing, though: the girl actually can sing. Like I follow her on TikTok. <laughs> she has a beautiful voice, and she also has another song that came out last week that I actually listened to last week. That's really good because she's like a she's like a queer young adult about like singing a song about like her going out with her girlfriend and it's a really great song. No, Rebecca Black is like gorgeous and thriving and doing well, and I I am very in awe of the way she was able to just sort of own this. I mean, that is m- my worst nightmare is oh, being known for yeah. like a stupid thing I did when I was. 13 and the way she has just like embraced it and leaned into it and this remix is just proof of that it's really kind of lovely i feel like there's an earnestness to it that i find very charming too you know it's a great philosophy like sitting in the front seat sitting in the back seat which one should i take (laughs) it's a philosophical song gotta have my ball Avery Parker, thank you so much. I really hope you enjoy your Friday and your weekend as well. You too. Thank you so much. You know what day comes after Friday? Saturday. (laughs) Sunday comes afterwards. Up next, your COVID questions answered. If you've been listening to Nerdette since the pandemic started, then you already know and love Dr. Emily Landon. She's an epidemiologist and infectious disease specialist at the University of Chicago. And we've been checking in with her every couple of months. Last time we talked to her was in October. Things have changed quite a bit since then, especially in terms of both vaccines and variants. So Emily is back with us today. Emily, hey, you've gotten both doses of the vaccine now, right? Yes, I have. So how has that changed how you are moving through the world at this point? Not too much, actually. Right. You know, I think this is a tough question right now because you want to think that when you're, you know, I have a lot more protection than most people do. And it would be virtually impossible for me to die of COVID if the data are to be believed, you know, Mm -hmm. and I am highly unlikely to catch it. But the reality is that there's still probably about a 5% chance, maybe slightly higher because I have RA and I, my immune system isn't super awesome. Rheumatoid arthritis. Yeah, rheumatoid arthritis. That's it. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think that 
there's maybe a five to 10% chance that I would get a symptomatic COVID case and probably another five to 10% chance that I could get COVID that was asymptomatic and, and then spread it to other people. And that's really low, especially if I am careful about the people that I'm spending time with, right? But in the situation with new variants and with most other people not being vaccinated, someone who's vaccinated could spark, you know, a, a big outbreak. So mm -hmm. I think it's tough because we people who've been vaccinated, myself included, want to be free to do a lot of stuff. But until everybody's or a lot more people have been vaccinated, that's not probably the best thing to do. That said, I think it's safer for me to spend time with other people who are also vaccinated. So I feel more confident because they're, even if I had asymptomatic, they probably wouldn't pick it up and then they wouldn't be likely to spread it on either, right? Right, right? So I do think that there's a real opening for people who've been vaccinated to spend more time with people that are also vaccinated. But really that whole, you need to keep wearing a mask and you need to still be careful about your contacts and all that, that's going to get smaller and smaller over time. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, what is the deal with the fact that you could still be carrying around COVID even if you have the vaccine? So the studies of the vaccine, they really wanted to um, enroll them quickly and get them done. And so they really didn't want to put too much on the participants. And checking their noses every few days to see if they picked up asymptomatic COVID was, for anybody who's had a nasal swab, a uh, definite dissatisfier for participating in the trial. So, you know, that that wasn't included. And um, and I can see why. So what we know is that 5% of people that got the mRNA vaccines ended up getting COVID anyway, but none of them were so sick they needed to be in the hospital. So it's not that the vaccine either works or it doesn't. It works and sometimes you can get enough COVID in that it overwhelms whatever immune response you made from the vaccine. The good news is that your immune response from the vaccine is good enough to protect you from a bad outcome, but it doesn't protect you from spreading COVID to somebody who is not vaccinated. Right. So for all the people that that 5% that are going to still got mild COVID, right, there's probably a percent that got asymptomatic COVID, but we don't know about that number. It's probably not huge. And the data out of the AstraZeneca trial suggests that it's really, really vanishingly small. And most experts believe that with the immunity that they have, even asymptomatic COVID wouldn't be nearly as transmissible as symptomatic COVID in an unvaccinated person. Hmm. So this is a theoretical risk right now. And we are looking toward individuals who've been vaccinated, like healthcare workers, who every time they have a big exposure at the hospital, like at mine, we're testing them afterwards to see if they still have COVID, if they can pick up COVID and be asymptomatic afterwards. And we haven't found any yet. Oh, Most people haven't. Huh. And I think the good news is that as we gather more and more data, people are going to be less and less worried about that. So it is the fact that we tell people that they can still do this is a theoretical risk right now that is really prudent because with these new variants running around and with so many people unvaccinated, you really would hate to be the one vaccinated person that, that met with other people and then just started a whole outbreak in them. That would be really unfortunate. Yeah, that would not be good. So yeah, we uh, decided to call you our resident epidemiologist, oh, just well, so you know. Um, you. And we took the question out to Nerdette listeners and asked them, you know, sort of like, what would you like to know from Nerdette's resident epidemiologist? And I mean, a lot of the questions probably wouldn't surprise you at all, because I think they're, you know, there are questions all sorts of people have. And you kind of hinted at a couple, but I want to I want to touch on them a little bit more just because I think they're really important. So you mentioned herd immunity. What percentage of people having gotten the vaccine is the point where we can all stop worrying about this? 
Uh, that's a good question. So technically herd immunity is an equation that you can do related to the sort of baseline R naught, which is the transmissibility, basically it's the number of individuals infected by any one infected individual. So how many mm, people you okay. get sick. Mm -hmm. And that number is sort of relative because you can, you can change it by wearing masks, keeping distance, that sort of thing. But what would it be without all those things? Or what would it be without the things that you want to get rid of it would be a good way of, of asking that question. Mm -hmm. And I think that with wild type COVID, we have a pretty good understanding that it's going to be between two and three. And so you need sort of a mathematical equation would say you need between 60 and 70% of people immune. That's not vaccinated because if your vaccine isn't 100% effective, then you might need to vaccinate more people mm -hmm. to get to that proportion immune. But I think with the newer variants, if they sort of take over, they might have an R naught that's higher than what wild type COVID was last spring. Oh, so then we need a higher percentage. Yeah, so I think it might be 85 or 90%. Wow. So when it comes to the vaccine, a question we got a lot is, is this like a one and done or is are we going to need to get new vaccines every year like we do with the flu? I don't think every year. The only reason we'd have to get it every year is if your immunity waned between the shots, which I, it look, it's looking less and less likely that that's going to happen. I think that there may be at least one more booster for all of us based on the variants that are coming out now. But once the spread is under control, there won't be so much pressure for new variants to come out all the time. Mm -hmm. These are born out of, this mutation is born out of widespread uncontrolled transmission. Wow. So I think there's still a chance that we could see more subclinical infection than we think we have allowing for mutations, right? And mm -hmm. um, that's a possibility. And then, yeah, we might need more boosters. But I think this is something that if that were the case, you could just co-formulate it with the flu shot and or get oh. it at the same time and just kind of, you know, you get both at the same time and that's that. I also think that it's important to know that the R naught or the, which is determines what the immunity is needed to do whatever thing you want to do, the R naught in that activity or whatever uh -huh. is lower when you're outside and doing stuff outdoors. And it's higher when you're indoors and doing stuff unmasked. So I think that you really only need probably 60 to 70% of people, maybe even 50% of people to be immune in order to be able to have outdoor stuff be safe and okay. And you need a higher proportion of people to be immune in order to be okay indoors. So we're really going to need to use that summertime to get the masses vaccinated before next mm -hmm. winter. Cause I do think we'll bump up again. Yeah. So I've been seeing a lot about this double masking thing. Speaking of the variants, uh -huh. I mean, I have to admit that like seeing this information felt a little bit to me like just put some duct tape on there and call it yeah. a day. Like, what, well, what do you think? Well, then you can't breathe. Um, <laughs> so I would avoid airtight things, first of all. No. Okay. So some people double mask. I think that a lot of people saw people wearing two masks at the inauguration mm -hmm. and wondered if that was necessary. And I would say... The mask that's doing the heavy lifting with respect to the aerosols that are all around us, especially when we're indoors, is going to be whatever mask fits you best. When you're outdoors or when you're up close with people, though, the outside of your mask can get contaminated with their droplets. And so I think what you saw at the inauguration was a lot of people wearing N95s and KN95s or medical grade masks, like even surgical masks, and then putting a fabric mask over the top of it for either warmth or to protect the outside of their mask. And so that's a great reason to wear a double mask. But I think it doesn't really add a ton to the filtration. If you wear two poorly fitting masks mm -hmm. on top of one another, 
you're gonna be fine from the droplets probably, but the aerosols that are in the air are gonna just slide right around your mask. So what's actually most important is what CDC put in their recommendations for mm -hmm. masking on public transport, which is it needs to fit you well, snugly, without gaps. So the best thing to do is to focus on fit and um, get masks that are good, multiple layer fabric masks or medical grade masks. That's best one to be fine. Yeah. So, uh, Sarah on Instagram had asked about supplements. She said she's been seeing that doctors are saying that zinc and melatonin could help with COVID. What do you think about that? Zinc and melatonin don't have any data behind them. Okay. There's some data about zinc and um, the common cold, but that's usually that that study was in rhinovirus, not in coronavirus. Hmm. So, I don't think that's going to be helpful. But vitamin D. There is a growing body of evidence that suggests that low vitamin D levels will increase your risk of having severe COVID. So especially now as we're in the sort of worst, lowest point of winter where the days are just getting slightly longer yeah, yeah. and it's too cold to be outside in the sun anyway. <laughs> right. You're lucky if it's a sunny day. Vitamin D3. Talk to your doctor if you take other medicines or have other medical problems where they yeah. may, you may need to be careful about the dosage. Otherwise, use what's recommended on the label. Don't don't go overdosing. This is a vitamin you can overdose on. Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. yeah, vitamin D3. We take vitamin D3 at my house. And I sent some to my mother, made her take it too. That's funny. My mom made me take it. Growing up in Alaska, it was like, oh yeah, vitamin D for sure. <laughs> oh yeah. Good, good job, mom. <laughs> yeah, totally. So you've talked about the summer a little bit. When do you think people can start sending their kids to camp or like planning vacations? I assume those are things that still shouldn't happen this summer. Is that right? I don't I wouldn't send my kid to camp probably. Yeah. Because they're not going to be able to be vaccinated until maybe late summer, the older kids. Yeah. There's an expectation that the 12 to 16 year olds will hopefully be eligible for vaccine late summer and the younger kids not until after that. So I, I would not send my child to a sleepaway camp. Um, vacations though, I think that I'd like to be able to go on a vacation this summer. <laughs> I mean, I think I, we all would like to go on a vacation yeah. this summer. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to go like on a, first of all, U.S. has way more cases than a lot of other parts of the world. And as other parts of the world come out of their COVID, you know, pandemics, there are already a lot of places that restrict visitation from the United States. So until we really get a handle on things, it may be difficult to travel to some of the places you want to go to, mm -hmm. unless you can take a really extended vacation with a two-week quarantine. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that some of the places around the world are not going to still be available. But I do think that there are places that you could probably go get to this summer, especially places you could drive to or places you can even fly to as the numbers come down, maybe. So I think that there may be options for people to do vacation. So by the summer, maybe. Right, right. So yeah, you know, you mentioned what ideal herd immunity would be like, Based on the pace that we've had so far, is there a month in 2021 that you're projecting that like we should be good to go? Well, I think it's not going to be like everything opens at one time, right? Sure. Where it's going to be a gradual return to normal. And so think of what you were doing last summer and, and add in a couple steps more than that is where you're going to be this summer. Now, this is it's hard because I'm hedging a little bit because of these new variants. If the new variants really are as dangerous in the United States as they were in the UK and some of these other places, you're not going to see travel open up the same way. Mm -hmm. You're still going to see recommendations to avoid non-essential travel and people are going to prefer to go to places that they can drive to and, you know, things like that. Yeah. So I think 
that's a possibility. But I think it's also a possibility that things get a lot better, that the vaccinations and our mitigations really start to sink in and people kind of are doing the right thing. And we get to a summer where it's pretty good and you can go to a further away outdoor vacation or maybe maybe half and half where you can go to a city and some cultural events, maybe those favoring outdoors are going to be open where you can't pack your days the same way you could before. But, you know, I don't know. I really want to go to an ocean. <laughs> mm. I, I, at this point, I'm thrilled with an outdoor sitting by the ocean or by the pool vacation. You know, even like I was I've been daydreaming about daydreaming about outdoor city pools, mm-hmm. you know, like even not leaving town, but just like sitting in a chair on the pavement next to a pool in the summer. Yep. I miss that so much. Yeah, I didn't do that this summer. I don't know why my building has a pool. I probably could have done it. Oh yeah, you mentioned that pool. I think I was just too busy. Well, yeah, you've got <laughs> a lot going on, Emily. <laughs> so this summer, I'm definitely gonna sit by the pool. There, there was a good. No, I think good. things are gonna be better. I think, um, but I, I'm kind of hedging a little bit. So it could be a significant. There's a range of options, right? So it could be significantly more optimistic than than this, but it, it could also be more restricted than what we want, but I think it'll still look better than last year. Yeah. Well, that's good to hear because, I mean, it's time, you know? Yeah. We've all been doing really great work hanging in there, I think. (laughs) I think that's like the most true thing I've ever heard. (laughs) Well, Emily, thank you so much. You're just the best. No, you guys are awesome. This is great to be here. I'll come back anytime. Oh, yay. After the break, we're going to hear from Claire Comstock-Gay, also known as Madame Clairvoyante, about what the sky may have to do with that lawyer-cat Zoom situation. I'm here live. I'm not a cat. Turns out it's more relevant than you might think. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Have you been feeling extra weird in your life lately? It turns out the planets could have something to do with that. There are three major celestial events happening this month that have been throwing things out of whack. The first one is that Mercury has been in retrograde since the end of January. February kicked off with an Aquarius stellium and coming up in just a few days is a Uranus-Saturn square. Maybe you're not a big believer in astrology. I am a bit of a skeptic myself, but it's like my yoga teacher always says, take what works and leave the rest behind. Here to unpack things with us is Claire Comstock-Gay, otherwise known as Madame Clairvoyant. She writes the horoscopes for The Cut. Claire, hello. Hi, Greta. Thank you. 
Okay, so let's start with Mercury retrograde. For anybody who isn't familiar, it's when the planet looks like it's moving backwards in the sky. It's something that happens several times each year and essentially just has to do with the different rates that Earth and Mercury move around the sun. Astrologers believe that Mercury going into retrograde can have some pretty big consequences. So Claire, what does that mean for us? Astrologically, it means that Mercury kind of takes a backseat. And so it's the planet that rules communication, kind of connection, um, thought, technology. So all of those things kind of go a little wonky when Mercury's retrograde. So you've probably heard, right, like don't sign a contract during this time. Your computer's gonna break. These are kind of the Mercury retrograde classic things. So what you're saying is that I can blame Mercury for the fact that I happen to have three broken printers in my apartment at this exact moment. Honestly, yes. It's wonderful (laughs) to blame things on. (laughs) And I used to not believe it. And I still kind of am like, yeah, it's overblown. But when I tell you like how many of the times my tech has broken and it has been Mercury retrograde, (laughs) it's like, okay. So there's also something called a stellium happening in Aquarius right now, which is when four or more planets all appear in one single sign that essentially like increases the influence of that sign. Right now, there are actually five planets in Aquarius, including the sun. How does that affect us here on Earth? So Aquarius is a great sign. It's so weird, right? Like I say this in a loving way. I think Aquarius is cool, (laughs) but it's for sure like the weird sign of the Zodiac. Like Yoko Ono is a classic Aquarius. (laughs) So what else? You mentioned Yoko Ono. What else should people know about Aquarius though? Like, are there certain things that maybe we should all be doing because we're in Aquarius season? Yeah. I mean, I think with all of this energy, right, it's kind of a twofold theme, right? Aquarius is really humanitarian and really collective minded and all about kind of like making the world better for the people. But Aquarius is also all about individuality and being a little bit of a weirdo, <laughs> right? And so A, if you want to be weird, do it. Mm. B, if the people around you are weirding you out, maybe cut them a break. It's all the Aquarius <laughs> energy. I feel like that's great advice any time of year. I love it. <laughs> the third big event is something called a Saturn-Uranus square, which is when those two planets are 90 degrees apart in the zodiac wheel. It's considered a difficult alignment, according to astrologers, and especially between those two planets in particular, right? Yes. So it's Uranus is the planet of kind of surprises and unpredictability and rebellion and revolution and Saturn is the planet of discipline and rules and so those two crashing up against each other in that way right it's kind of just a sense of unpredictability when the rules and structures of the world are concerned and it's funny the Uranus transits are funny because astrologers always say like don't even ask me to predict what it is This is the planet of unpredictability. We don't know. We just know it'll be something weird. (laughs) So even without all these strange planetary alignments, things were already weird. And what you're saying is that things could get even weirder. So what's your advice for people who have just like had it up to here with all the weird shit lately? Mostly just don't don't be scared, right? Astrologers like to make things sound scarier 
let me let me back up. It's not astrologers, I think, but astrologers editors like to put scary headlines on articles about astrology stuff. And it's almost never that scary. No one's doomed. There's no doom in astrology. <laughs> no doom, just weirdness. Just weirdness, yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Claire, thank you so much for chatting with me. This really was a pleasure. This was great. Thanks for having me, Greta. that's it for today our dms are open for book club voicemails this month's book is leave the world behind by ruman alam if you've read it and you have thoughts let us know don't actually dm us send us an email you can record yourself on your phone and then email the file to nerdatpodcast at gmail.com the show is produced by me justin bull and isabel carter our executive producer is brandon banazak we will see you next Friday, Friday, na 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 Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Macs. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.